Welcome to Box Cutters episode 230, Day Late, Dollar Short. My name is Josh Canal. To my left, John Richards. Hello, listener. And to my right, Brett Cropley. Good evening, viewers. What a bam, cracker, whiz, bang, <laughs> look up in the sky, there's fireworks. Ooh, it's, it's summer in July. It's everyone dancing in the street. Show we have for you today. Did you say bam, cracker? Yeah. Is that a thing? Sure it is. Because I think it should be. It's great. Bam sure cracker. Is. Brett was eating some earlier. Apparently Josh is a cracker. Yeah, but bam cracker. Yeah, it just sounds great. Brett, Brett came in. He had a bag of bam crackers. Yeah. Would, you, would you like one? Do you like bam cracker? No thanks. I've just eaten. <laughs> they're not kosher. <laughs> they're, made, they're made from live bam. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Huge show. Huge show. Did I mention that? I, I mentioned dancing in the streets and summer in July and all sorts of stuff. Yeah. There are some places it is summer in July. Not, not here, though. No, but I believe uh, Darwin. Because I came in tonight as a celebration of wool, and I'm still <laughs> cold. You were. You came in, you were more wool than man. I was. Half man, half wool. <laughs> you were the woolly man Yeah. 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 That's, uh, that's the level we're going to be in this week's Box Cutters. All about TV and... In, uh, in keeping with our greatest TV characters of all time, John, you are finally going to get your chance to talk about The Doctor. Woo! Finally. It's, it's been a while. Because the, the, the Doctor is controversial as well, but we'll discuss that when we get to it. Uh, we've also got a, a call from a listener uh, on, on the theme of greatest TV characters of all time. International listener. International listener. Yeah. I know. So exciting. Summer in July where she is. Yes. Yes, it's true. That's true. Uh, I did an interview with uh, Raj Roy, the uh, film curator from MoMA, the Museum of Modern Art in New York. He was in Melbourne for a few days for the Tim Burton exhibition opening. Mm -hmm. I did an interview with him. Uh, It's very brief. It's about eight minutes or so. Don't get much time with a very important man like that. I did what I could. We're going to play that later on in the show. Where's your Tim Burton interview? You got like three seconds with him. And yeah. none, none of it was usable. Yeah, yeah. It's actually we'll uh, we'll, we'll replay it. Uh, like we'll we'll let's workshop it now. The Tim Burton. John, interview. You pretend to be me. I'll pretend to be Tim Burton. Okay. Mr. Burton, Mr. Burton, can I ask you some questions, please, Mr. Burton? No, I got it. Thank you. And that was it. That was it. Th- that was it. So, you know, take from that what, what you want. Uh, I, I think, uh, really, his, his early work doing Hansel and Gretel mm. for the Disney Channel, I think that really comes out. I, I've got some that. Ian McKellen uh, interview uh, somewhere, which is very similar. Oh, really? Yes, it's like, I'm not doing any more. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, so... It was, so a, it was a press conference. So, that so was my entire... Turns out that Ian McKellen ate Frank Thring. Yeah, yeah. Right. And then had a stroke. <laughs> Uh, so we're going to play that uh, excellent interview. I say excellent. I did it. I don't know if it's any good. Mm-hmm. We'll find out later on with Raj Roy from MoMA. Uh, we've got an I Don't Buy It. We've got a Ray Watch. We've got a very exciting Box Cutters quiz this week. Exciting because I think it's one of the first times it hasn't been a crumpler prize. <laughs> Ooh, spooky. I know. I know. That's coming up later in the show. We've got one thing. We've got pork. As always, though, we're going to kick things off with the Box Cutters news.
Oh, look, there's a whole lot of news. A whole lot of news going on this week. Uh, some of it probably more important than this, but this is the one I am most excited about. <laughs> Go on. Marvel Entertainment, uh, the, the comic company who make Marvel comic books, uh, owns Spider-Man, Iron Man, X-Men, that line of comic books. Uh, they are uh, creating a television division and have appointed long-time comic writer and uh, also recently TV writer Jeff Loeb as uh, vice president and head. And why does this excite you? Because Jeff Loeb's excellent. What's, and, uh, what's, he, what's he done that we can be impressed by? Well, he's, uh, he's, he's, he's done work for Smallville and Lost and uh, worked with heroes uh, from the start. So he knows his superhero-y. He, he knows. He knows. Super, I mean, on top of that, he's also uh, written for Iron Man, Captain America, Hulk, Daredevil, Spider Man, X Men. Uh, he's won four Eisner Awards, uh, which are the the comic book awards. He's a he's a fantastic comic book writer. And is there any hint yet of of what what franchises, what what uh, intellectual properties? No, but but apparently they've they've been trying for a long time to bring Marvel characters to. TV and and make them work, and I can understand that's very hard to do. I mean, the, the Hulk was quite popular with Bill Bixby and Lou Ferrigno uh, in the late seventies, early eighties, mm-hmm. but didn't really have the the feel that the comic book had. I think getting Lou Ferrigno to play uh, Bruce David Banner was probably a mistake. They should have got him to play the Hulk instead. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And because Bill Bixby is quite a slight man. Yeah, I mean, he did his best. Yeah, you know, grr, he yeah, said he did. But, but really, you just kept and thinking of my favourite Martian. I actually kept thinking of uh, Courtship of Eddie's father. So There you go. So, you know, you, you, t- you take whatever first reference you can think of. Uh, so, <laughs> Isn't there a freaky Japanese Spider-Man series as well? From the late 70s, early yeah, and 80s? Yeah, the, and there were also a couple of Spider-Man TV movies mm-hmm. from the mid-80s. And, uh, and there are those excellent uh, Marvel comics... Uh, cartoons from the late seventies, early eighties, where they would just get still pictures and uh, and kind of close up on them <laughs> as Hulk goes grrr. Uh, and of course, there, there have been a million different Spider-Man cartoon series uh, as well as X-Men series, but uh, live action they've they've never really got to work on TV. And now that they've got a sense of of how to make it work in the movies, particularly with Iron Man, uh, because uh, Iron Man and the, and the first few X-Men f- films, because that Wolverine film was no good. Do you know, weirdly, and I'm sorry, we're talking about film now, and boy, are we geeky. Uh, I saw... Alfred Hitchcock, wasn't he great? I know, well, Wolverine the other night. My partner was watching Wolverine. Um, DVD stopped working. We went back and actually asked for a new one. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, but, but he started watching from the point he'd stopped watching, and I started watching it. I started watching the film 45 minutes in. I really enjoyed it and actually thought it was quite a good film. I have no idea what happens in the first 45 minutes or what could have happened in the first 45 minutes because the entire plot makes sense if you start watching from 45 minutes in. Because I know lots of people who have seen the whole thing. And hate it. Well, that's the thing. I think if you don't watch the first 45 minutes, the film's much better. <laughs> like, I don't know what's in there. I assume it's padding. But there's, there's no need. There's no need. If you've got Wolverine, skip 45 minutes in. Watch from there. Ah, 
that's a that's, that's a good point. Tip. Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> Notes from the sidelines with John Richards. Uh, so I'm really excited that uh, Marvel's got a TV division. I'm really excited that Jeff Loeb is uh, is in charge of it. Uh, and that's that's yeah. Everything else is just boring. Also, Max Cullen. You start off with Max Cullen. You watch 45 minutes in. Oh. So the whole film becomes about this heroic Australian character actor who's pretending to be American. <laughs> <laughs> who, once, who once played a man who sounded like Billie Holiday. Yeah, it's great. Uh, in, uh, in, in other news, this uh, also comes from Variety in the US. Uh, apparently, CBS is developing a, a daytime talk show. They've done a pilot for it mm-hmm. uh, that is... Think of the most unlikely pairing you can think of, John. Uh, uh, yogurt and Buzz Aldrin. And you're so close. <laughs> Valerie Bertinelli and Rove McManus. No. Yes. Daytime talk show with Valerie Bertinelli and Rove McManus as co-hosts. Does Rove know? <laughs> I think he does. I think he's quite excited about it. It's going to be called Say It Now. <laughs> My name. No, no comma. No <laughs> comma. Just say it now. Someone pointed out, have you noticed that TV show titles are getting really, really sort of aggressive now? So it's all things like, so you think you can dance and <laughs> say it now. And who do you think you are? And it's like, it's like being in a room with your parents. Your mother dresses you funny. <laughs> yeah. Don't speak to us this way. Why do you go live in Russia? That's my new travel show. <laughs> <laughs> Only one episode. Uh, so, uh, obviously, Robert McManus has been looking for something to uh, hang his hat on for a, a while over in the US. Uh, I don't think that uh, a daytime talk show with Valerie Bertinelli is, is necessarily the thing that's going to cause his star to rise is over that there? Really what he wants? I, mean, I don't know. It just seems hard to imagine a daytime talk show is really what you'd be wanting for an American. Yeah, I, I, haven't, I haven't spoken to him in, in years. We almost caught up in LA, uh, missed each other by, by a few hours. So, uh, no, I have no idea uh, what Rove actually wants from, from his time out in LA. But he's, he's working hard, clearly. Uh, the thing is, this is one of the shows that CBS is hoping will replace As the World Turns, which they axed earlier. Uh, As the World Turns, one of the longest-running daytime soap operas in the US. They're, uh, so, so they need something that's going to replace that. So they've got this show, Say It Now. Uh, also, a new version of Pyramid, hosted by Andy Richter. A uh, pyramid is is that game where uh, where uh, two people sit on uh, either side of a, a screen, and one person has to go. Uh, it's got hands. It ticks. It has a face. Uh, there are numbers on the face, <laughs> and the other person has to go. It's Margot Kidder. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's not right. Is no, it? no, we just lost. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and so one of the people is a celebrity, and one of the people is just a regular human. Uh, and this show was uh, so, so Pyramid was recently, uh, and when I say recently, in, sometime in the last ten years, Donny Osmond was hosting it. Uh, so hasn't Andy Richter really gone from strength to strength? Uh, so that's one of the uh, ones. Uh, the other is uh, this news is very depressing. A mother. What? what hang on, Jeff Loeb. Do you want to go back to Jeff Loeb? <laughs> 
<laughs> okay, your non-Jeff Loeb news is very depressing. <laughs> uh, the other one is a, a mother-themed talk show hosted by uh, CBS's Julie Chen, Sarah Gilbert, Sharon Osbourne, and Holly Robinson-Pete. Holly Robinson from 21 Jump Street. Uh, Holly Robinson-Pete and Sharon Osbourne were both in... Uh, the latest season of Celebrity Apprentice. And I have to say that Harley Robinson Pete comes across looking like a total biatch. It's a lot of fun. Uh, and also a food-centric game show starring <laughs> Emeril Lagasse. This is just terrible. So that's, this these, is like you've written words down at random and you're just picking them out of a bag now. These, these are the shows that Rove's new show is up against for the daytime <laughs> slot to... Fill in the hole that as the world turns. Because these are the shows that are competing with each other. Yes. Because like, I must admit, it's the food-centric yeah. game shows probably got me. You know, out of the choices. Oh, yeah, definitely. I'd, I'd, I'd much rather watch that than any of the other three. Mm. As, it's just just horrible. Uh, John, you've got some uh, news headlines written uh, down. Yes, I wrote them down, but didn't actually bring the information with me. Steve Carell is going to leave the office at the end of his contract, but he doesn't think the office should end. That's the US office, of course. The UK office has been over for quite some time. Has it? Um, he UK office? Gone. Gone. Quite, <sighs> a, while, that quite a while back. Um, but yeah, Steve Carell, apparently in a seven-year contract, said that uh, at the end of it he wants to leave. But it's curious, he says he thinks the show should carry on, and I think that would be quite interesting to see if a remake based around one central character could actually manage to, to do that would be quite interesting. Well, there we got uh, Parks and Recreation from. Which character is that? Uh, Jim's first girlfriend, yeah. Is she actually That's, the same character? No, she's not the same character. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> Carry she's on. just the same actress. And it's the same style of shooting. The other probably more important news I wrote down here was analog switch off tomorrow. Ah. But that could just be a note for me. Not not <laughs> <even know. laughs> Remember to switch off my analog. I keep leaving it on all day. <laughs> I'm a fool. That could only be up in our uh, Riverina area, Mildura. Mildura. Apparently tomorrow is the uh, tomorrow our time, not where you're listening. So to the end of tomorrow, in fact, because that would be. Or do they get all day? The financial year nice. and uh, starting from the first of July. It would oh, is that really what going. it is? It's a financial year thing. So you don't spend any of your analog. That the, is the, the, the beginning of the the year uh, yeah. and uh, and the month. And and can I say? That's it's just as well that that's happening this Wednesday because uh, last Friday, remember there was a whole lot of political stuff going on last Friday. Mm-hmm. Nobody even reported on this. It's 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 amazing, but it's such an interesting story that comes from Senator Conroy's office. Fascinating. Is he still there? He's still there. I haven't replaced him with anyone else yet. And his uh, his media release uh, says. Uh, I, the, the headline is, Digital Switchover Legislation Passed. The Minister for Broadband Communications and the Digital Economy, St- Senator Stephen Conroy, has welcomed the passage through Parliament yesterday of the Broadcasting Legislation Amendment, brackets, digital television, Bill 2010. The bill establishes the legislative framework for the provision of the new Viewer Access Satellite Television Service, VAST, for digital television... <laughs> oh, that's brilliant! Yeah, I know. That's like Bond villain. Yeah, yeah. Vast. For digital television, black spot areas and addresses a range of other digital TV switchover related matters. So basically just in time for the digital switchover, uh, the government has passed a whole bunch of legislation that makes it okay for the digital switchover to happen. 
like five days before it happened. Yeah. That's impressive. So that, that's saying that those people that are getting switched off have five days to get a satellite dish yes. and install it and tune it and... Or else they will be destroyed organized. by Vast. <laughs> Conway gets to turn around his chair with his black leather gloves on. Activate Vast. Did you say he was the Minister for the Digital Economy? Did you, did you yes. say that out loud with yes, words? Yes, Minister for Broadband Communications and the Digital Economy. The Minister for Digital Economy will see you now. Activate Vast. <laughs> wasn't, wasn't there an F as well? Isn't it the... Uh, the B C D E F. You know, no, it's just the B C. It's the it's the D B C D E. If, but if you take out the department of bit, no, then it's just B C D E. Is that happy birthday? D B C. You can't even you can't even say you those notes. You can't even say those notes in order. Oh, or else you oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, you can. B C D E. Lawyers can send their letters to <laughs> Brett Cropley, care of hooray at boxcutters.net. Letters from appreciative musicians, just a hooray at boxcutters.net. <laughs> uh, so that's, uh, that's, that's that news. Uh, and uh, in sad news, uh, TV theme songwriter Alan Ferguson uh, passed away last week of natural causes. Alan who, you're saying? Alan Hugerson? What, what did, did Alan Hugerson write? Oh, not much. Just the theme song to Charlie's Angels. Oh, that's impressive. And the excellent theme song to Barney Miller. So they always went to the ads. Don't you remember that? No, no, I was impressed. Yeah, I, this is that I feel like I should get up and make a cup of tea. Do you remember the, do you remember the theme song to Barney Miller? I don't. No, I was never a regular viewer of Barney Miller. Boom. Boom, 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 boom. It was just all bass. It was fantastic. That's all the third Massive Attack album. Yeah, yeah, it is. In fact, uh, Seinfeld ripped it off, didn't it? Sorry, I I should have said TV theme song creator and creator of UK dub. (laughs) It's a dub musician. Uh, What what else did he do? Uh, Starsky and Hutch. Oh, Oh, he co-wrote Starsky and Hutch and the SWAT themes. Uh, uh, He had eight Emmy nominations and he passed away last week. Uh, That's all I've got in the news. Brett. No, I don't particularly have anything uh, that interesting. Well, it's been a big week. I was I was uh, very much taken up by uh, by sports matters, which is very unusual for me. But not viewing because Brett I won the Community that. Cup. I did hear. I was told that Brett was viewable on on one news television service. I don't know which one it was because mostly I just kept hearing that Dan Sultan looked dreamy in a pair of shorts because <laughs> that's what forty year old men like to talk about. <laughs> Well, where is Dan? Like, is is Dan Sultan big stuff? Like, he's a really nice bloke. Apparently, in his shorts, he is. Dan hey. Sultan's in shorts. He's so dreamy. Oh, you should see him in the showers. Um, but uh, oh, oh, now there'll be fan fiction. <laughs> and for, uh, for for people no following fiction. my uh, my baseball career, uh, St Kilda beat Reservoir. Eleven one. If you've uh, if you happen to catch a recording of, of whatever uh, newscast it was that got me on, I was number uh, thirty four for the megahertz in the red and white. Uh, shoot it in the uh, South, shoot, South shoot Melbourne colours. Shoot in a cap to uh, to boxcutters. Hooray, boxcutters dot net. Um, South Melbourne colours, not the V though. It's uh, red and white stripiness. Oh. Number 34. I was playing full forward in the fourth quarter there, right there for the glory moments. The two. Last minute goals. 
And uh, and apparently somewhere between seventy thousand and one hundred and seventy thousand dollars raised, raised for, for Rick Link, cha- cha- charities. Who was uh, the charity behind uh, the old uh, Choir of Hard Knocks? Mm. Um, and uh, you know eight, what? I, I, to I 10, totally thousand uh, attendance. I can totally support a TV based charity. <laughs> I'm a bit worried. You said between seventy and one hundred seventy thousand, which seemed that seemed. Quite yeah, there a... are two two reports. One okay. one on the I, day, I and one in the paper the next day. Right. And... Okay. Um, I heard on the night the seventy thousand. Apparently, somebody was reporting to me that it was reported in one of the uh, newspaper articles that said one hundred seventy or something. But uh, I didn't read that myself, so I can't even put it down to a subby and uh, uh, sneezing and hitting the one button accidentally. And that is the box cutters news. Nobody knows what the future holds, my friend. Ladies and gentlemen, wake the kids, phone the neighbours. Under all the circumstances, I disagree. This is such a crack of shit. It's so hot. Those dope beats, Cropley. It's so hot. I I think I need to to play around with some equalization. Well, I'm looking forward to that too. Maybe put some uh, uh, reverb echo on there. That is, of course, the theme song. For the greatest TV characters of all time, bum, bum, bum. and uh, we do <laughs> what? Since <laughs> you just you've just uh, made redundant the need for that intro with your, <laughs> bum, bum, <laughs> your bum. Yeah, you've said that intro may well as not be there. <laughs> you might as well just go out now. And hey, the champ is here. The champ is here. The champ uh, and, of course, if you want to get involved in the greatest TV characters of all time, you can email us your list uh, of your top ten Please do. greatest TV characters of all time. Or call us. Uh, if you're on Skype, which is so easy to set up, I recommend you do that. Uh, you can find box cutters on Skype and leave a message for us. Or if you're in Australia, uh, you can call on 9269. Or if you're not in Australia, you can do what our lovely Canadian listener Sophie did and call on plus 613-9016-9269 if you don't have the Skype and you can tell us about your greatest TV characters of all time. Sophie did just that. Now, remember, she is calling from Canada on a cell phone. Or a mobile phone. Is she still I'm not sure what they call them. Call, I think they call them cell phones there. They call them cell phones there? Yeah. Uh, and Is she still snowlocked? I don't think she's snowlocked because it's it's summer, but uh, she is still in the middle well, of how far north is she? She's still in the middle of nowhere though. I don't know how far north she is. It is the great white north. But you can hear the nowhereness, I think, in yeah, the in you, the signal. You, you can really hear the nowhere the, the nowhereness in, in the signal. You can. You can. So it's a little bit difficult to, to hear. But she has some great points. So let's throw it over to Sophie. Hi, Sophie calling. I want to talk about the doctor and, well, another doctor. I want to talk about um, Hawkeye Pierce. So I'll start out with the doctor. I think the attraction has always been that in every incarnation, he's still got these characteristics, this blend of a camp old man, an action hero, and a librarian. At the same time, he's also relatable. Every person who watched Doctor Who growing up 
can put themselves in your shoes and it allows you to imagine that you're the one traveling the stars and getting into adventures in spaceships made of hair dryers. At the same time, there's a sort of magic around him. It's not so much charisma as it is just that he's deeply, intensely likable. You want to know this guy. Maybe go on an adventure or talk about astrophysics. Um, and the same characteristics that carry over into the second character I want to talk about, Hawkeye Beard. In Hawkeye, you would always have a character who was deeply, intensely moral and had a very strong personal code, but at the same time was a madcap, silly, who got a clown nose and slippers into post op. And yet, he has this sort of gravitas. He, he seems a bit like your dad. You, you trust him inherently, even though you're not quite sure what he's going to do next or where on earth he got this idea from. And he was not political. Well, you know, he was. Like, there was a very strong sort of political current running through him, but he wasn't, he didn't have an agenda. He was a relatively sane person dropped into an insane situation. And I don't know, and I'll sort of box cutters, but I think this is the first time we really saw that and had that sort of entry into what was frankly another world. And I guess in that way, the, the two doctors are very similar. Well, that's all I have to say, mostly because I'm not entirely sure I have international calling on my phone plan. So I'll say bye now. Bye. Apparently she did, because we heard it. Well, maybe she did, but I, I don't know if maybe... like. She going, may have just, a $700 phone bill. How much is that costing her? Oh, Sophie, I, I hope it hasn't cost you too much money. Uh, but thank you so much for, for calling in. I think that those points are excellent. And we are going to have to have a, a longer talk about Hawkeye because the, the things that she brought up are really interesting. And one of the problems with Hawkeye is, is also one of the problems with uh, Arthur Fonzarelli. Their alcoholic nature. Yes, Yes, it's the alcoholism. Yes. Uh, and the, the penchant for hanging and, out in and men's gang toilets. Violence. <laughs> uh, but the. Uh, You've just been Happy Days kind of all soprano y, haven't you? It's just kind of, kind of interesting. Uh, no, it's, it's the, uh, the, the problem where it started off as a, a really good character, but then kind of petered out into. Uh, You're talking about once Ted joined up and, and Fonz was all, I'm a teacher now and yeah, yeah. school and is cool. Hey. Do, you remember, do you remember when Ted McGinley joined the, uh, yeah, joined the Ted, cast of MASH? Ted I'm talk- oh, uh, yes, that was horrible. That was, oh right? God. Just just absolutely, absolutely I terrible. never had candy stripers in Korean <laughs> War. I know. Jeez. I know. One day Spearchuck is on there and the, and the next it's, it's Ted McGinley. It's, it's terrible. Terrible. <laughs> so we'll have to talk about that uh, l- later on in the year, I think. But right now, John Richards, tell us why 11 different characters should be counted as one character. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're going to talk about the Doctor. And I, the first thing I think I need to mention quickly, because this is the thing that Nellie rang up when, we, when she was first putting the, the whole list together mm. and kept saying Doctor Who, and I had to venture, look, Nellie, don't make fans angry. Um, it is important <laughs> to say Doctor Who is the show, the Doctor is the character. It's a kind of... Faulty Towers, Basil Faulty thing. Think of it that way. You'll be fine. I uh, love Doctor Shaw, John, but Doctor Who? Doctor Who? And I was just saying, because he's never called Doctor Who in the program, except for the times when he accidentally is, such as uh, in the War Machines, in which uh, the, the villain keeps going, Bring me Doctor Who! 
And uh, one of the story titles is Doctor Who and the Silurians, which is actually on screen as a title because they apparently forgot to cross the first bit off on the script. Uh, I do like that, uh, like that uh, show with Faulty Towers and Sybil and... Yeah. Faulty yeah. Towers is a great character. And the Doctor... <laughs> yeah, Faulty Towers in that film, Sybil. Um, <laughs> it was... <laughs> But so, and the interesting thing about Doctor Who, which and this this ties in, I think we were saying you were talking about how Hawkeye becomes a bad character later on, although the Fonz, and Doctor Who's weird because it's not only it's a television program, like the Doctor is both a character and a concept at the same time. In that, and like you were saying, it's eleven different actors so far on the telly. There's also plus bonus actors if you want to count the the plays and. There are books, there are audio but, dramas, there are, there are films. There are, there's, there's, wasn't that specifically well, and, introduced and, by the BBC as a uh, negotiating device when it came to contract and, and renewal also, time? Doctor Who in the Dials 2018. Well, this is the weird thing, because it was originally... Uh, I mean, this thing... Uh, today, people have... Shows have a character, uh, creator, you know, or a showrunner, but there's, there's always a creator, there's a, there's a Bible, there's a, a sort of worldview. Doctor Who, the show never really had any of this. It sort of... It was created by multiple people. It was to fill a particular demographic need, which is they wanted a family-friendly show that was semi-educational. That was kind of the idea, with no mm. bug-eyed monsters in it. So episode five, when the Daleks turned up, that went horribly wrong. And that's when the show basically took off. Uh, Daleks aren't bug-eyed. Can, can I? Sorry. Mm. Because people are going to call in. Yeah. I know it's, uh, it's Daleks Invasion Earth 2150 AD. AD. I know that. Oh. Okay, I'm aware of that. <laughs> Don't right. write in. It's, it's the films. No one gets angry about the films. Okay, they're not real. Anyway, Peter Cushing is who <coughs> I was thinking of. Peter Cushing. So you have this this show which it, it kept evolving. And at the beginning, not only was the Doctor not even necessarily the hero, because at the very beginning, um, you could argue that Ian, who is the much more Ian and Barbara, are the kind of relatable characters to the audience. And there's almost a sense that he's. Ian's perhaps the, the action hero, and the Doctor is this strange, almost antagonistic figure. The show keeps evolving as it goes on, and in most shows, if they evolved in this way, they'd go mad like chances. But Doctor <laughs> Who just became intriguingly... You know, it, 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 it built, it actually built a, a mythos, shall we say. And I was mentioning the other day when we were going to talk this first time around, that if you made a list of the things that the Doctor is, because there isn't actually that much. The character definition at the heart of it is more, you'd say, is... A Time Lord from Gallifrey, he's several hundred years old, uh, and he goes around the, the universe sort of fighting evil and, and you know, putting things to right. None of that showed up in like the first five or six years of the show. That's, that's the insane thing. Uh, Time Lords didn't show up until the last year of Patrick Troughton's reign. It's about six years in. The name Gallifrey was about ten years in, uh, mentioned in passing in a story. It's not even... like you know, None of the stuff you would build the character around turned up, and it's almost... The fact the show could keep going with such an ill-defined concept is, is kind of charming in a way, and I think that's what built, because everyone watching could add into it. Everyone has their own idea of what the character is and what the show is, which is when we get back to that thing of, there actually is no show called Doctor Who. There's been a thing for 45, 50 years around in all these different forms, but people like different versions of it. And we were talking the other day about how I'm quite, I really love this, this most recent series, didn't really like the five years beforehand, but people who did like the Doctor as the kind of romantic lead in a fantasy action series are perhaps a little bit, you know, thrown by the Doctor in, in this series. Or if you were an old school fan who liked it when it was a, a science fiction thriller series or a, a horror series as it was in the 70s for a while, like it, it just keeps evolving. And uh, like you mentioned, Brett, there is that weird thing that at least three of the Doctors appear to have been pushed 
Uh, the very first regeneration came around because William Hartnell was both difficult and ailing. And, mm. um, yeah, and even the concept... Of re- ailingly difficult. Ailingly difficult. And apparently he didn't like coloureds. And um, he was... Oh, it's why he's, he only appears in the black and white ones. Apparently he wasn't yeah. allowed to actually... I, don't know, I won't go to... There was, uh, uh, the About Time books by uh, Tatwood and... Um, uh, it's Lawrence Miles. Really interesting. If you pick those up, full of gossip and typos. So, so he actually got uh, a better offer on Love Thy Neighbor. <laughs> yes, basically they, they kind of pushed him out. And originally, the regeneration was described as a rejuvenation. That Patrick Troughton was perhaps a, a younger version of William Hartnell. Mm-hmm. And we say even that, even the concept of regeneration, which we would take as part of the character, doesn't really show up. It's not really clarified almost until Tom Baker turns into Peter Davison as to what what it actually is. So, so, so hang on, the, the John Pertwee to Tom... No, John Pertwee to, to Tom Baker, that's well, quite definite. You have to think that Hartnell to Troughton's presented as getting younger. Troughton to Pertwee is forced upon him by the Time Lords as a kind of extreme makeover. And Pertwee into um, Tom Baker it has all this weird mystic kind of uh, Buddhist uh, symbolism right. around it that means it might not be what normally happens, it might just be this one particular time. And this is what I mean by this show. But he was actually in, in the form of uh, Siddhartha and, and started a religion of his own. <laughs> that, that, that's what he went on to do. Um, and so you have this show, which is, is you know, it's many, many different shows. There are people who love the books. There are people who have the, have the records. And it's this idea of this, this sort of central character who's become our idea. And every person owns the Doctor. Like everyone who's a fan of the show kind of gets to own and create it in their own way. Which also means often they get very, very angry when other people come in and create it in ways that they don't see as being reflective of what they want uh and it's just yeah and it leads to a lot of crazy fan fiction obviously and you know people knitting earrings uh, with with daleks on them but it's interesting what, what sophie said about uh the, the doctor is kind of what you would like your dad to be i think she actually said it's kind of like your dad i'm like you don't know my dad well she also said um, <laughs> that combination of action hero and librarian which i thought was actually it's funny too that it's a show that's always been built around knowledge which is again not not my uh, my my dad at all. He's he's more electrical engineer and accountant, <laughs> right? <laughs> but that idea of of you know a, a paternal figure, a, a giving of knowledge, and a helping yes. you to to work things out for yourself. And, and so these these are the things that all the doctors seem to have in common, mm-hmm. but they don't seem like one character. Well, there's one. It's funny, the the late series in particular uh, has a whole theme of memory going through it and um, that turns up often in, in Doctor Who of the Years as well as the idea that a, a man is the sum of his memories and, and it's kind of interesting that idea of saying a series of memories and then your personal decisions are what makes a man mm. is kind of part of the issue which is also part of the whole fun of the whole thing I think as well that you know I, I, I think if it was the greatest concepts greatest TV concepts of all time mm-hmm. I'd go yeah the Doctor fantastic the, the way that they Managed to get longevity into a show uh, and recreate the character. But there is, though, I think from series three, you do have this idea, he's a man who does good. You know, he fights mm. evil. And I think a lot of people, too, especially kids, little kids find that so... He's an inspirational figure. You know, the idea is he's a man who says, no, no, you shouldn't put up with things. You shouldn't overlook things. You should you know, directly confront these issues. And I think as we get older and you know, more jaded and bitter and much, much worse people. I think we, l- we look at him as an example of what we feel we should be. So, a- again, it's, uh, it's that reflection of ways, 
ways in which we as human beings should act mm. that makes that makes him a great character. Well, he's also a belief system, isn't he? I mean, isn't he? he's everything. This is the great thing about this is why as a character, this is just astonishing that you can get all this into one thing. And you say, I've got a character, he's going to live forever in every form. Different actors will come in, they'll play him differently. But at the heart of him, there's this kind of quest for knowledge and for what to write that will inspire generation after generation. Interestingly, and, and just taking it back to comic books very briefly, mm-hmm. in the comic books of uh, Doctor Who, the, uh, the Doctor in the comic books is always modelled after one of the actors who played the Doctor. Never, n- never do the, the artists go, oh, I'm going to invent my own Doctor. Well, there is interesting that there's a company called Big Finish that makes these audio adventures. And in fact, when Doctor went off air in, in 1989, uh, the novels continued, I mean, all dark and gritty, and Big Finish uh, turned up and started making these audio adventures with previous Doctors, because, of course, their voice is pretty much the same. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you can have these people playing themselves as they were 20, 30 years yeah. ago. Except for Peter Davison, who's noticeably got a different accent now than he used to then, because he used to be very received pronunciation, very posh. And now, like everyone else in England, he's sounding a bit more kind of street. Right. Yeah. But, the, but they even, Big Finish did a whole series called uh, Unbound, in which they basically got a whole bunch of actors in to play alternate ideas of the Doctor, based on, on things so Cat Weasel. He did a couple. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, there was, uh, I've just forgotten her name, uh, the comedian from the first show, and Posh Nosh. Um, she did one, which seems to be universally disliked. <laughs> but yeah. um, it's really fascinating that the Big Finish has done that, going, well, let's try out some different doctors. Because, you know, there's a, it's open slather, really. You can, everyone has the, everyone can have a go. And there is no real, even the show contradicts itself constantly. So there's no canon as such to what's real and not real in the Doctor Who world. You can... You can choose whatever you like. The film one's part of the canon. The film one's not part of the, the canon. canon. Yeah, people, people argue forever. Place. But the show itself con- directly contradicts itself all the time. So I think you just have to kind of embrace the bit that you're loving at that moment. And I think Monty was my favourite Doctor. Monty was great. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> Even though he was terrible. I love the, I, I love the fact that the, that the Doctor exists. Because the, the whole point of this segment and... and the research that we're doing into greatest TV characters of all time uh, is to try to define what it is that makes a, t- a good TV character. And and the Doctor is none of I mean, those things, insane. but all of those Yeah, things. you would never, ever be able to pitch this as an idea. There's, there's a comedy sketch by uh, Mark Gatiss and a couple of League of Gentlemen guys that was done for BBC's Doctor Who night some years back. It's on one of the DVDs, in which someone basically walks into the BBC office in 1963 to pitch this show. And he's going, oh, how long do you say it lasting for? I'm thinking 26 years. Oh, 26 <laughs> years. Yes. Uh, yes, seven people should play the Doctor. Okay. And, and this is kind of like your pictures. If this was a concept, it would make no sense. You would never do this as a show. You know, and it's only the weird evolutionary kind of aspects of it. And the fact that you know, the people producing and running it now were fans of it when they were kids. It's just, I don't think there's any other show like that on television. It's a kind of shared, shared dream. Hmm. Yeah. Although I think uh, if if they get this new version of Pyramid up uh, at CBS, <laughs> they'll, they'll be able to have the same thing. So that's the Doctor as one of the greatest TV characters of all time. We really want you to have your say. Email us, hooray at boxcutters.net. There's also the Talk to Boxcutters link on the website if you can't remember the email address. Uh, just search for Boxcutters in Google. You'll find it. Uh, so click on the Talk to Us link or Talk to Boxcutters link. Uh, and also, if you want to be like Sophie, and why wouldn't you? She's excellent. You'd have to move to Canada. 
Well, there are other ways you could be like Sophie. Okay. For example, you could be like Sophie just by phoning box cutters on zero three nine zero one six nine two six nine and let us know who your all time greatest T V characters are. I felt like and that why. spelt something. It'd be so much easier. It, it does. It does. Uh nine zero one six nine box. Mm. So the nine zero one six, if only that spelled something. Yeah, it doesn't. Uh, I did. I did manage to get a US uh, phone number the, the other day though, uh, and my, the last four digits in that phone number spelled Josh. So I'm quite happy with that. Uh, You're a sad man. <laughs> that's the greatest TV characters of all time, and I'm a sad man. Hi, I'm Ryan Shelton, Box Cutters' favourite ever guest, and uh, I've really enjoyed myself on Box Cutters, so listen as much as you can, because um, I'll be having it on loop on my iPod. Uh, I did an interview with the uh, film curator from Museum of Modern Art in New York. I didn't do the interview in New York, I did the interview in Melbourne. He was, uh, he was in Melbourne for the opening of the Tim Burton exhibition at Acme, mm-hmm. and if you manage to get to Melbourne some way, somehow, and you're a fan of Tim Burton, you must see this exhibition. It's, it's fantastic. I've seen it in two different countries, and uh, they're different. The, everything within the exhibition is exactly the same, but uh, I think the exhibition in Melbourne is a little bit better than it was in New York. It's, does, does it get slightly disappointing towards the end? Like Tim Burton's career? <laughs> yeah, I was just being a yeah. bitch. Uh, no, it's no, fun okay, all right. the way through. It's 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 really fun all the way through, and uh, the the things that they've uh, that they've found as as part of their research in this exhibition is just extraordinary. Uh, and so I'm, I got a chance to sit down for for about ten minutes with the the film curator Raj Roy, uh, who works for MoMA and spends all of his time researching film, looking into film. But hang on, Josh. If he's a film curator, what's he doing on a show all about television? Well, I thought, where's the line, John? Where's the line between film and TV? And so I sat down with him and I asked him, the first question I asked him was how he sees television progressing and where he thinks it's going. I'll start off with kind of what I see happening in contemporary uh, television in New York. I come out of the festival world, so I spent many, many years uh, running festivals as a festival programmer and uh, artistic director, and so I have a lot of friends who are independent filmmakers. And I've just seen an incredible migration of a lot of the top talent coming out of the independent film circuit and the festival circuit going into television, Mm -hmm. because some of the best storytelling that's happening in the States anyway is happening on television, specifically on cable networks, so HBO, Showtime, whether you go, you know, The Sopranos to True Blood, which is, you know, kind of the, the next iteration. Some of the best directors that are coming out of independent film are going into television. Part of it is just economics. There are jobs to be had. But I think it's actually cinema's loss that those incredibly talented people are finding a better platform or a more feasible platform, let's say, on television than they are in theatrical, traditional, cinematic work. And I think if we don't make a concerted effort to celebrate both their accomplishments in television as well as cinema, but really, really support and, you know, ensure that there is a financial structure that's viable for these makers moving forward, television will become 
the theatrical venue for the the top cinematic talent, and and we'll lose a lot of people to the the mainstream market. Does it seem to you that TV has become more about storytelling, whereas film seems to become more about spectacle? Sure. I mean, you know, that's the the triumph, I guess, in a way of Avatar is creating a phenomenon that drove people back to the cinema, but it did it through spectacle. I definitely think. not storytelling. Definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> I'll say that so you don't yeah, have you, to. Thank you. <laughs> no, look, the point was creating an opportunity for people to experience something that they could only experience in a cinema, which was the tremendous digital 3D world that Cameron created. And in a way, Tim kind of investigated with Alice, although I do think that storytelling, you can never divorce storytelling from any of Tim's work, even mm. if the spectacle is what uh, is what's driving you know the hordes to the cinema. So you, the same thing was true with Batman. Tim creates phenomena cinema, but he doesn't abandon storytelling in the process. And I think that that's what um, we have to work to maintain. And I you know it's not a doomsday thing. It, it's been a part of the tradition of the commercial end of filmmaking anyway um, since the dawn of the industry. People have always kind of sat in awe and wonder of the spectacle of the moving image on a screen, whether it's a large screen or a small screen. I do think, though, that it's a fair assessment to say that some of the best storytelling that's happening with the moving image is happening on television at this point. And, you know, my observation is just that, yeah, all the top independent talent is, is migrating there. Over the last few years, I've been looking at the future of television as as we know it and I've been speaking to a lot of people who create web content as well and trying to work out what the definition of television actually is mm. is it just short story form as someone who who works with curating yeah. uh, concepts how, how do you see television it used to just be transmitted into houses but now it seems to be abstract well I mean it's omnipresent in a way I mean it's you know you call it television which you know People picture a box or a screen in a, in a home setting, but the reality is um, a lot of content is being um, devoured, I want to say, but experienced on devices that have nothing to do with a domestic environment, whether it's a mobile device or it's on some sort of transit, whether it's you know your own car or virtually every airplane that's flying these days. That experience of the mobility of television content is taking it to uh, a level that you can't say, in the same way you can't say that cinema only exists in a theatrical sense anymore necessarily, I don't think you can say television only exists in a domestic sense mm -hmm. anymore. And that, that will be a challenge. I mean, it'll be a challenge for storytellers who will have their stories chopped up into little bits. Because if you're watching an episode of Lost on your mobile device on the way to work, chances are you're not going to have the full hour or 40 minutes or whatever the, you know, the runtime of, of a traditional episode is to actually experience that. Something we might see is television content that's more digestible in smaller bits. Much as the, the internet with writing has been able to chop itself up into smaller bits. A lot, I think a lot of critics, a lot of print writers have developed a sense that they understand that their articles are not being read in straight batches anymore um, and that you can kind of go paragraph by paragraph as you would on a mobile device and kind of get the gist of it. That might be something we see coming down the pike with, with television content. How does this uh, change in, in concepts and definitions affect your job as, as a curator? It just means we have to be on our toes, right? We have to make sure that we're always keeping pace with the artists. I mean, the, the audiences in the industry, that will come and go, um, and that has come and go. I think that's 
where a place like MoMA has the benefit of history. I mean, we, we're one of the only museums in the world that collects film in a serious manner and has. So as a repository for cinema history, we can always go back and we can say, was there another moment in cinema history where episodic storytelling was the vote? And how can that inform what we're doing now? And, you know, at the earliest origins of cinema, the Edison company would make short subjects um, that were wildly popular. That eventually led to longer format uh, works and the kind of attention spans grew. Whether they shrink back to, you know, shorter attention spans, not necessarily a bad thing. There's tons of short filmmakers that will probably be in more business. There'll be, you know, more opportunity for them to get their, their work out to a larger audience. I just think as curators, we have to make sure that we're always keeping pace with the artists because that's our, it's our primary obligation. I've, I've always found it interesting that the waves that motion picture has, has gone in and, and the idea that people think, well, no, motion picture is only on a, on a large screen. But then if you look back to things like the, the Superman, Batman serials in the mm-hmm. 40s and 50s yeah. that were in cinemas, yeah. and they were just 20-minute episodes. It was essentially a, a forerunner to, yeah. to TV. People make a lot of assumptions. A lot of assumptions are also strategically placed by commercial interests that would have large swaths of society believe that this is what the proper experience is. And I think that's where we always, you know, we as curators always have to be very careful not to fall into any kind of PR or kind of created narrative about what any given art form is. Mm-hmm. Um, that we have to take a broader view, take a step back, experience it. I mean, I'm, I, I love going to festivals. I, love, I mean, Tim was the president of uh, the jury in Cannes this year, and he said he did it because he wants to keep pace with what's happening. I mean, the type of film, he, he, Ed Wood was in competition in, in Cannes, but that's probably the only of his films that really made sense to be in that context. And yet, for him, it was important to kind of immerse himself in the spectrum of what's happening. And that's what we at MoMA, I mean, I have nine colleagues, curator colleagues, and between the nine of us, we're really covering the spectrum of what's happening out there. And so I, I find it interesting that uh, he starts talking about television, but not as an art form that is challenging film, necessarily. Uh, I, I found it quite interesting. It, it seemed like he was, uh, he, he still had... A, a little bit of residual contempt for, for oh, television. No, I, I thought it was just that he was more saying that everything is everything and everything's nothing. He was basically it's all Buddhist. Uh, no, that, <laughs> that whole thing he was saying that yeah, that, that all forms basically can exist in their own sense. I thought that was quite interesting. Saying that you know maybe internet and television and film can all learn from each other, and, and that there is there is no actual definition, which is one of the things that I'm. I, I think I said that in the interview. I, I'm really interested in is the the definition of television. When, when we started doing this show, uh, TV was very much TV. It was still a box that uh, that you watched in your house. It was also that thing about, you know, TV always used to be the, the poor cousin to film, which I think is interesting. You know, and there were TV stars and there were film stars and they were completely different things. But now film actors do television. You know, yes, and, 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 t- and TV actors uh, can have... Uh, Big, grossing films yeah, like Steve Carell. And, and I was just saying that Steve Carell and, and Tina Fey, on their you know, both on their holiday, went off and, and made a feature film, which everyone agrees is nowhere near as good or sophisticated as the TV shows that they do. Is kind of yeah, that's interesting that there's no there's no difference between the two forms in that way. 
So I, I want to say thanks to Raj Roy for the time that he spent with me. Uh, thanks also to Claire Butler at Acme for setting that up. Uh, it was great to, to sit down and, and pick the mind of someone who is immersed in film all the time. Are you one of those that follows the follows the Get me a jury and show me how you can say hinge your line. Go down on you. Brett Cropley, what don't you buy? Oh, you know what? I don't buy not setting up the CD player properly. That's what I don't buy. I did it that way for a particular purpose. Oh, really? Because, uh, yes, yes. You'll find <laughs> what I don't buy is these Denon DJ CD players in the studios. Because what they try and do is they're, they're DJ specific uh, CD decks. And uh, when you've got a, a CD full uh, of yeah, intros it's, it's and, just, and bumpers what's and the stings. What's the ad? Then, that's um, impressive, it, though. I'm, I'm, I'm deeply impressed. I know, but then he went on too long. It goes long. for the first beat. <laughs> and it'll cut off the beginning of it. Uh, <laughs> careful listeners would have heard that in previous episodes of Box Cutters. <laughs> but what I don't buy is something that's been really annoying me uh, recently. HBA have been uh, have had a massive spend on uh, the TV ads. Um, I, I assume Harold Mitchell got them a bulk discount rate um, with his media buying prowess, and uh, and they're just running the one ad which has these these tools saying it's crunch time they're just a it's a a, a paratrooper leader just about to jump out of the airplane saying it's crunch time there's a rugby coach footy coach uh, saying it's crunch time and what they're saying is that uh, if you're a certain age and you don't get in before the end of uh, the financial year which is uh, tomorrow our time um, then you uh, you're stuck in this position where uh, because of uh, implementation by the Howard government a few years ago uh, you need to pay more if you're a certain age uh, by the time you get onto a private health insurance it's a very specific crunch time, isn't it? It is a very specific crunch time, and really, what it says to me, it, it, I don't think I think it's a bit ambiguous. It it does make me feel like they're saying that if you buy health insurance and if you buy HBA health insurance, then you're going to walk into a lot of pain. <laughs> <laughs> that, 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 there's, there's, there is that ambiguity, and I really I don't buy it. Hello and welcome to today tonight's yes. soap, 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 yeah. soap and water. Hello and I'm Naomi Robson swearing. She's disgusting. Naomi Robson has a uh, a web based TV series. Really? Where she just no. swears? No. Fuck, 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 no. no, she doesn't. What is it? Oh, it's Is it like the Ileana Douglas one where she lived in the Nike? No, that that would be hilarious. No, that's a real thing. I know, but no, it wasn't. She didn't live in Nike, she worked in one. Uh, it's uh, it, it's it's kind of like a, a lifestyle program uh, about health issues and weight loss and things. When you it's say strange. it's a it's a web based series, is it really just an ad for something that's disguised as a series? Oh, I haven't watched it. Okay, I've just looked at the website. Oh, let's write angry letters about research. <laughs> I'm your own one now. You're on it. So you keep going. You okay. keep going. Um, Brett, you've got, you've got a, a bit oh, of rewatch. This country had a momentous occasion in history last week as uh, a... I think you thought a, it was in Canberra. A lady was elected to the highest office this country has. 
Governor for an General? elected person. Oh, no, no, the Queen. Yeah. Yes, an, a woman became the third most powerful <laughs> person in the country. When Julia Gillard was uh, was installed unopposed uh, through the spill of the ALP uh, caucus room um, last Thursday and became our first female prime minister, um, the the libs uh, seem to to be in this position where they've got absolutely nothing that they can that they can go on her, and so they they're just going through this massive. Uh, dissemblance kind of campaign where where their claim is that the Australian electorate voted for Kevin Rudd as Prime Minister at the last election. That is not our system. But Oh, I'm gonna argue now. I don't want to But argue. we've got we've got it's people. not our system, but we know it is. That's no, the thing. it's not. It our, is. That we is not no, it. no, you this go is in not a presidential no, It is. We run presidential style campaigns. Electoral we, I, we know system. on paper, yes it is. But we have a presidential system. We're fully aware of it. No, we no, we don't have a presidential for, system. You ask anyone, do you vote for the party or are you voting for the prime minister? They're mostly voting for the prime Brett, minister. Where did you see? So this is liberal politicians you're talking about. Where, liberal politicians. Where, where did you see For this? example, uh, Barnaby Joyce on... It's national, but yes. Coalition. On uh, the, the Q&A show last night uh, with Virginia Trelli, obviously uh, not, not uh, able to uh, wield the mighty... Fist of, of control, as Tony Jones uh, has has uh, built up over over the time that he's been doing it, and so Barnaby Tony Jones is actually sorry is working on a new show called Tony Jones <laughs> Fist of Control. control. <laughs> I know that's brilliant. And so uh, Barnaby Joyce uh, just through through uh, lack of, of uh, common courtesy would uh, come <laughs> in at the end of everything that anybody else said that uh, was counter to what uh, what what the uh, lines are that uh, they're trying to get through. Did he, did he keep saying, you are? And just go, pretty much. I'd pretty much. Barnaby Joyce is pretty hilarious. Anything else. <laughs> he would, oh, so that's he, not true. So you're yeah. saying he, he, he said that. He now, was doing that. Here's a counterpoint I have for you. Uh, former Prime Minister of Australia, Kevin Rudd, said that very same thing in his press conference last Wednesday night, which uh, everybody who wasn't as watching... He, as he was talking up his of chances of... Uh, uh, of in the end, he didn't even stand for uh, the position. I, that, that's irrelevant. He said, he also said, I was elected Prime Minister of Australia by the Australian people. Uh, and and my point on Twitter at the time uh, was, no, you weren't, you were elected by caucus. And, uh, and Julia Gillard, in her press conference the next day, said, I know I haven't been elected by the Australian people. Uh, and uh, Well, that's and- silly on Julia's part. Well, it's also silly on, on Kevin on Kevin Rudd's my, part. Yes. My, yeah, yeah. my my point but, you is, know, ag- but you're again, saying it's you're saying it's only you're saying it's only liberal politicians. It's not. It's everybody, which then goes towards John's point. It, it, to me, it's like that whole thing. We yes, the millennium does start on two thousand and one, not two thousand. But everyone thought it was two thousand, yeah. and eventually you have to go. Well, that's what the people feel. They do feel they vote for the prime minister. They're not voting. You can't just change them because a poll comes in telling you, oh, yeah, I don't know. It's awkward. I didn't want to agree with liberal well, parliamentarians. I've never agreed with liberal parliamentarians before, and they're saying things. I'm going, well, that's kind I of I think there's a problem that, uh, that our national politicians are uh, intentionally going out of their way to run presidential-style election campaigns and not allowing the, the people of this country to be educated in what 
how the but, system is. But there is a no, point that's been made. Is in actuality. Think, I, but you can't just say that's liberal politicians. Look at the whole Kevin 07 campaign. It's a, uh, that, was, that was a presidential it style was a presidential campaign. campaign. Yeah, yeah. It was um, all presidential style campaign. But. But see, but my point is, if I'm voting for the Liberal Party with, say, I mean, yeah, that would never happen, obviously. But if I was voting for the Liberal Party with Malcolm Turnbull at its head, that's a completely different Liberal Party to the one that would have Tony Abbott at its head. And I'm fully aware of that. There's going to be policies and ideals that come from those people mm. that affects what that party is. People have voted for the Kevin Rudd Labour Party. They've just been given a Gillard. But when they, went, so, when, so, when, they went, when they went into that polling booth, they did not put your a Ray number Watch, one though, next to Kevin Rudd's name your on Ray their Watch, polling paper. Brett, on their ballot paper. Brett, your My Ray, Ray Watch, Watch is that people like Barnaby Joyce and Julie Bishop on the circle put this state, state this stuff Categorically, they they state the people of Australia voted for Kevin Rudd. Only the people in Kevin Rudd's electorate voted for Kevin Rudd. So, how is that a Ray Watch though? They're not being picked up. They're not they're not being challenged at all. They're just right. allowed to. But even Julie state, Gillard saying people state didn't the vote fallacy. Sorry, but even Julie Gillard saying people didn't vote for her. So, I mean, so, so your your problem is that no journalists in Australia are picking up. Politicians on saying no, what no, no, John no, already not, thinks. Not no journalists. <laughs> I've, I've heard journalists challenge them on it and and uh, uh, point out the fallacious nature of the statements that they're making. Uh, not on the, the TV coverage that I've seen. But where, Julia herself is saying she's not moving into the lodge because she's not elected. Which is actually, I think, one of the most brilliant bits of politicking I've ever seen. No, that's, she, that's not what she said. That is she what she said. said. She, no, that's she exactly said. what she no, said. She, she said, I'm not elected. I'm, it would be wrong for me. I'm a caretaker. I'm not moving into the lodge. No, she said she wasn't going to move into the lodge. It'd be great if she moved into the caretaker's residence in the lodge. <laughs> That'd be good. <laughs> she said she wasn't going to move into the lodge. That's, and, that's, and that's, you know, if she goes to the election and, next, and, in and then gets, television, gets voted out, then it's a two-month occupation of the lodge. And, you know, you don't want to move. <laughs> when, nobody wants to move. It's like the the third most stressful thing ever in life, just after death. And uh, wrestling sharks. Yes. Um, so my Ray watch is that that uh, Julie Bishop and Joe Hockey and Barnaby Joyce and any any liberal politician, federal politician that are getting their head on camera are going with the party line that everybody voted for Kevin Rudd. It's fallacious, it's untrue, and they're not getting challenged on it. Okay. Well, clearly, it's a contentious issue (laughs) that leads to uh, sidetracking. So let's just say, yes, Brett and John, you're right. Okay, question three. Which can I... All these going to be about war? No. I got loads of. I got one on tennis. One on the Suez Canal. Loads. Okay. Question three: Which canal links the Mediterranean with the Red Sea? Stop arguing. Morons! Stop they are arguing. Oh, Just, oh, oh, I think again. Yeah. oh okay. See, you're too busy arguing. You're not paying attention to your job properly. Because yeah, you're right. We all voted for that Labour Seven campaign, didn't we? <laughs> <laughs> You know what I'm excited about? The T-shirt in my cupboard doesn't say Labor 07. No. No. It's also, got, has the eBay value three, gone up or down? I don't know. It's got three <laughs> keyboard cats on it. You know the other that. thing? There are birthers about, oh, fucking, no, about fucking Julia Gillard. There are birthers. She wasn't born here. She was born in Wales. People oh. are saying she can't be Prime Minister because she was fucking born in Wales. I didn't, Tony Abbott was born in the fucking UK. I'm leaving. Yeah, but he can't be Prime Minister because he's insane. 
Like this, oh, Josh is and not. just and just like in the states where you have the birthers campaign where people are claiming that Barack Obama was never born in America. <laughs> is that what the he was called. That's is it called birth? They I call they the call studio. themselves birthers. The like they're the anymore. most moronic wrong people. Because Bertha sounds more like a tuck shop lady. Birthers. <laughs> they're wrong. Can you play the quiz theme again? <laughs> Hang on, I'll have to line it up. Okay, question three. Which Canal... All these going to be about war. No. I got loads of... I got one on tennis, one on the Suez Canal. Loads. Okay, question three. Which canal links the Mediterranean with the Red Sea? Okay, so... This is really exciting. (laughs) This is really exciting. Uh, we have a box set of the first series of Mad Men to give away. No, Brett, you can't That's have amazing. it. You can't have it. Thanks no, so no, much. To, thanks so much to sanity.com.au. We have a box set of Mad Men series one to give away to the box cutters listener who can correctly answer this question. What musical? Who's in- right? What's, what's <laughs> yes. oh, Start a political fight again. Don't start that again. Which, I'll have to walk out again. Which musical instrument does Joan surprisingly turn out to be very good at playing? In Mad Men, what musical instrument can Joan play? It's quite hilarious when it happens, but yes. Okay, so uh, answer that question. Uh, send an email to hooray at boxcutters.net. So or is this a question that... Click on that... Brett, the winner, shut the, the winner hell is up. going to have had to have watched the, the prize. But not season one. It turns up later. Ah. So you never know. Well, they can just Google. You know, all the answers are on Google, Brett. I thought you were it, going an ungoogleable. It's just the it's just the you know the illusion of choice we're providing. Send your answer to hooray at boxcutters.net or click on the talk to boxcutters link on the blog at boxcutters.net. There's a drop down there. You can say to enter a quiz or enter a competition or something like that. And uh, and let us know the answer to that question. What musical instrument does it turn out? Joe. Joan, 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 sexy Joan, can play in Mad Men, and you will receive a box set of the first series of Mad Men. Thanks to sanity.com.au. If you watch one thing. <laughs> Yay. Uh, all of my uh, all of my one things. Okay. Qu- oh. <laughs> <laughs> all all of my one things, or should that be one's thing? <laughs> uh, re- related to uh, to Tuesday the twenty ninth of June, thinking that we were going to be recording this on Monday the twenty eighth of June. Okay. Oh. So so yeah, if you only time travel to watch one thing, if you're going to time travel to to watch one thing, can we watch it all on iView or something similar? Uh, no, uh, don't. no, this is, uh, an SBS documentary that's on at 7.30. Oh, SBS do have a, a web viewer. Oh, d- they do? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I watched, uh, Supersizers, uh, last week. So this is a documentary called Why Do We Talk? About the, uh, the way that human beings have evolved to talk. That's a very long, long title. title. <laughs> that's a very long title. <laughs> no, the, the, the title is just called Why Do We Talk? Oh. Uh. The title is called. <laughs> the subject of the show is, why don't we talk about the things that humans talk about? Then, how how then, do we... Then, when we, we, when we talk about running. Yes. 
<laughs> what do we talk about? What do we talk about? Running. Uh, failing that, if uh, if this show goes up very, very quickly, uh, you can also watch uh, the, the UK Apprentice on Channel 7. Mm. John? Um, you got nothing. I got nothing. Is that a new UK Apprentice? I didn't hear anything at all this time around about it. So uh, no, it's a, it's a new a new series. I, of, I have uh, been of watching uh, Children of the Stones, which is a uh, mid seventies English kids show about spooky standing stones uh, doing freaky stuff to that guy from Blake Seven. <laughs> so I'll probably continue to watch the rest of that because it's quite good, <laughs> but very difficult to explain. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Brett, what would you be watching if you were going to watch one thing? Oh, would be watching. Well, I did mention that I watched Supersize last week, uh, which I caught on the SBS uh, later viewer on demand thing, um, which seems to uh, was there some sort of copyright or trademark but taken out by uh, Supersize Me Dude and his McDonald's thing. It seems to be a UK kind of translation of it, but uh, with a comedian and, and a journalist uh, looking at uh, different foods of different times, like the war, which they did in the first episode. Well, uh, this considering week, the that. I believe it is. Um, Considering that uh, that uh, Supersize Me was based on a McDonald's trademark of supersizing a meal, uh, no, I don't think he would have a leg to stand on. So does this show that they just look at what foods were eaten at that time? They they eat them, right? Um, So they they go through doing that, but they have the doctor's uh, uh, examination at the beginning and at the end, and see if they've put on or taken off weight. So how does the supersizers bit come into it then? I'm I'm confused. Well, that's the name of the series. But what are they right. eating? Did you, did you say the food of? So in the first episode, it was the food of uh, the Second World War. Okay, so, so it's, the, it's kind was, uh, of so it's kind of like that very short segment on ADBC uh, where Friendy would cook. Oh, that would be good, though. Yeah. yeah, and sort of food try, through the try ages. Try and pick this grass up stewed overnight. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah just like that. Right. Yep. Yeah. Right. And then, but then you know they'd be weighed and and tested, run to their uh, to their. How, degree and, how long? And, uh, how long do they eat it for? Uh, I'm not sure. It's just it like a single meal. That's just for a week or for a month. It was one right. of the two. Right. Might so be, might have been a week. So um, if you were going to watch one thing last one week, thing. That, that's what that would be. Yep. Right. Which I did catch on the uh, the later viewing thing mm. on the online. My one thing this week is on ABC One. It's on Thursday night. It's at eight thirty p.m. It goes for an hour. It's a documentary. It's a series. It's. Uh, Called it's Miri- a story. It's a story about a man. It's a story about a man who has a hat. A story about a man who has a hat that has a band on it. Mother, you hate me. It has I closed lost captions. My dreams. It's rated PG. It's called Miracles. And this one's about uh, Miracle in the Storm, uh, about a, a German paraglider who was sucked up into a massive thunderstorm I cloud. I saw the ad for this. Uh, it looks amazing. Over 10,000 metres high. I don't care. Uh, which which I'd, I'd heard the story of and uh, and sounds amazing and uh, from the ads it looks pretty exciting as well because he lands with, with the parachute right because he's right he's he's up having, in the, having gone up into orbit basically he's, yeah. he's essentially up in orbit and, and frozen and he lands with the parachute and he's got a bag in the bag there are a thousand letters all addressed to Santa Claus <laughs> and then a bear eats him. <laughs> It's award-winning. It's it's magnificent. That's uh, that's what we would be watching if we were going to watch one thing. Clearly, <laughs> none of us have anything except hey, for Brett. Um, He's got that great thing. When I cast my pod, it's with the box cutters in mind. Box cutters, pod, cast, done. 
talk is on the table. I'd like to apologise to everybody for walking out of the studio uh, in the in the fake quiz segment <laughs> where we played the quiz theme and then. Uh, so I just why, like to, why are you apologising? Uh, just because that was childish of me. I shouldn't have walked out. No. I apologise to people that uh, I was rudely cut off from my my uh, rant. rant. Yes. <laughs> But you have certainly learned a lot about film and politics in tonight's oh, edition. Yeah. You, have, you have learned a lot about film and politics. Just to recap, film can also be TV, can also be political. Hey, um, And Julia Gillard's a woman. A Welsh, a Welsh woman. A Welsh woman. A Welsh woman named I Bertha. Actually, I was more excited about the fact that our Prime Minister is, is unmarried and uh, also doesn't believe in God. I think both of those are actually slightly more groundbreaking in a way, but there you go. I, I liked and childless. I liked Mark, so, so not fulfilled. Mark Colvin on barren. Twitter uh, mm. made important points uh, saying, she's not the first Welsh-born Prime Minister and she's not the first redhead prime minister. Oh, is she not? I wonder no. about that. Okay. No, she's she's not. She's she's only the first female prime minister. Right. Was Billy Hughes Welsh? Was uh, no, but he was possibly the redhead? first female. Prime yeah, he was a female tennis player. Did very well in Wimbledon, nineteen forty-three. Yeah, yeah. Great work. <laughs> uh, regular uh, correspondent as we heard, I, I think it was last week. Uh, David She. Uh, to box cutters. Yes. Uh, um, my thanks to him for adding to my pile of VHS tapes that uh, <laughs> I, I needed to watch. After you should last, get a doctor to look at that. After last week's uh, taping, um, I, I looked in our pee hole and uh, there was a, a mystery package and uh, it was, it was uh, a time capsule from, um, from the, uh, ha- the, the Bob Hawke uh, period. Uh, Mike Willisey interviewing Bob Hawke uh, about capital gains on a current affair and then followed up by uh, a sale of the century with three random uh, competitors there, but Tony Barber and uh, Delvin Delaney. Uh, why, why did this tape exist? Why, and why, it's like it's a message. And why, yeah, why, why are you receiving this tape? It was, it was just sent to, uh, to add to my pile of things that I must watch. <laughs> But you've already watched that one now. <laughs> well, you've caught up well, with that one. So that, yeah, it yeah. came so, in, so, so can, it went on top of the pile, and I'm just working from the top down. Now you can tape over that one. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you still have ages to go before you get to the last episode of Quantum Leap. But it was very much a mystery tape. It was Brett's uh, bits to watch on there. And I, I did watch it, uh, just waiting for a punchline to come through. And, and <laughs> Three hours later. But very, very interesting to see uh, those real boxy lasers and meteors uh, in the car ads uh, and, you, and how boxy they were. Aren't you ever uh, worried getting, getting a, a random videotape <laughs> in, in the post that it's going to be like the start of Lost Highway? Or The Ring. Mm. Um, no, I felt, I felt comfortable enough... To uh, to stick it in and, and have a look, uh, uh, but um, oh, also also the fact. Do you do you guys remember from back in the eighties how they did TV show promotions, where they would they would have a voiceover with a series of stills from the TV show. I had no memory whatsoever of that. And it was so clunky to look at. Weirdly, I went looking for some footage from um, Squizzy Taylor after we discussed it infinitely on one of the shows. And all I could find was this ad from Channel 7 with the stills and the voice going, Squizzy Taylor, a film with things in it and some sound. Channel 7, 8.30 Friday. (laughs) Don't bother watching. Remington Steel was advertised. Uh, unfortunately, it was just a one-hour tape. 
Uh, so I, I missed out on, on a bit of uh, young Stephanie, Stephanie Zimbalist uh, action. Pierce Brosnan. I think, I think you'll find that Stephanie Zimbalist Jr. <laughs> Was it? No. No. That brings us to the end of Box Cutters. Why do episode. I remember that though? Because why does that make sense? Why did I? Why did I think maybe there was a junior on her name, but there because never could be Ef- because Ephraim she wasn't Zimbalist a boy. Because you think of Ephraim Zimbalist Junior. That's go. why. That's why. Oh, you've answered one of the multi- many mysteries of my universe, Josh Canal. And that brings us to the end of Box Cutters episode 230. I want to say thanks again to Claire Butler at Acme for setting up the interview with uh, Rajendra Roy. Uh, it was fascinating. Thanks so much, Claire. Also, thanks to Sophie, who called in all the way from Canada. If you want to be a little bit more like Sophie, you can give us a call on 039016-9269 or just search for Box Cutters on Skype and let us know about your greatest TV characters of all time. You can also just send them as a list to hooray at boxcutters.net. Also, don't forget to send your entries in to win that excellent quiz prize of Mm. the Mad Men uh, DVD. Series 1. Very good. Hey, if you've you've got a microphone, just plug it in, start up whatever recording uh, program you've got on your computer and talk into it. Make it into an MP3 and email it to us. Sure, uh, you can do that as well. That'll yeah. be great quality, and uh, yeah, you could you could edit it. Or cassette, and we can go and find that tape deck that's under the uh, desk in five. Is I there think. one in there? Yeah, remember we were looking for one once. We found one under a desk in Studio Five. If you want to send uh, just random VHS tapes to, to, Brett, <laughs> to Brett, go ahead. Because <laughs> that's amusing the hell out of me. Yeah, keep doing that. <laughs> go ahead, do that. It could be a new segment, Brett's random VHS tape of the week. <laughs> until next week, my name is Josh Canal. I'm John Richards. I, strangely, continue to be Brett Cropley. And sometimes we wish you didn't. <laughs> oh, that's just mean, Josh. Just mean. Cutters. Catch us again next week. Same bad time, same bad channel. Everything's the same on the internet. And hey, let's be careful out there. Box Cutters thanks 3RRR, whose studios we use to record this podcast pretty much each and every week. Find them on the web at rrr.org.au or 102.7 FM if you're in the Melbourne metro area. If you enjoyed this podcast, please go onto the iTunes Music Store or anywhere else you find us and leave a review. It will help other people find Box Cutters and then they can enjoy it too. Email us at hooray at boxcutters.net or via SMS on 0458 288 837. That's 0458 Cutter. I got nothing else. That's it. I'm, it's I'm just, done. It's the, it's the nature of the podcast. It, it, anybody could be listening at any time of the day, the morning, the evening, the afternoon, the, the dead of night. I know who won't be listening, though. Oh, really, John? Who? Hi, this is Pete Smith. You've been listening to or have just missed Box Cutters. <laughs>